HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Nettle Meadow Farm Cheese and Spirits Pairing, taking place on Saturday, June 18th at Nettle Meadow Farm. For more information, visit NettleMeadowCheeseAndSpirits.com. That's N-E-T-T-L-E, MeadowCheeseAndSpirits.com. I'm Chris Kuzmi. And I'm Mary Isaac. From The Man Valley. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. So welcome, everyone. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. We're coming to you live from Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is Wednesday, June 1st, and this is the 108th episode of the series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is a chef and breadmaster, and we have another chef in the house as well, and I will introduce them in a moment. First, as we, I do on every show, I will start out with my PR tip, then later we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to educate others. Be a teacher and share your knowledge. If there are misconceptions about things in the general public, and you know it, don't be afraid to be the voice of reason and spread the truth. We need smart people telling us what is fact and what is fiction. So be an educator. That is my tip today. Now I'm happy to have my guests here. First, I have Adam Leonti, the chef of the Bread Lab, a test kitchen, classroom, and milling facility here in Bushwick, Brooklyn, devoted to the final food frontier, grain. Adam started cooking along Mark Vetri, with Mark Vetri at his fine dining restaurant Vetri in Philadelphia at just 24 years old before becoming chef de cuisine in 2011. Adam made Forbes 30 under 30 list in 2012. In addition to directing the Bread Lab, he is the chef at Williamsburg Hotel's soon-to-open Harvey Restaurant. Also joining us is Jeff Kozlowski, who is the sous chef at the Bread Lab and at the soon to open Harvey restaurant as well. So welcome. Thank Thanks, you. Sherry. Nice to, nice to be here. Yeah, well, thank you guys for trekking out here down the whole long block over. Yeah, it's like 180 feet or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, no, I really appreciate it. <laughs> long journey. <laughs> so um, how, let's start out with, 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 with your careers as chefs. Like, how did you both get into cooking? Well, I started... Um, it was about two days after my uh, 14th birthday. I asked my mom if I could get a work permit. And then I went down to McDonald's, which was the only McDonald's in the country that went out of business in Portland, Maine. And, and that's because no one went there in Portland, Maine. There was like a, it's a very kind of crunchy community. And I worked there for two days, and then I never went back. And then I got a job at the only Italian restaurant in the city, and I worked there for four years um, when I was from 14 to 18. 14, wow. Yeah, so that's when I started. That's how I started. Yeah, I was oh. ambitious, at, ambitious at 16 when I could drive, and I got a job as a hostess at a Mexican restaurant. I, I had but, to jog yeah. to work. Oh, really? Yeah. 
<laughs> I would jog and show up sweaty. Yeah. Yeah, and mm-hmm. it, could, it or it could get very cold up there. So yeah, yeah. But we don't but, talk about that if you're from Maine. You, you never, you can't talk about being. It's like being a chef. You can't talk about hours. Okay. Like oh, I work like twenty. No, you can't talk about hours. Same in Maine. You can't talk about the cold. <laughs> Okay. I guess uh, being from Miami, you can't talk about the heat. Exactly. Okay. I'm learning. (laughs) So what about you, Jeff? How'd you get into cooking? Same thing. Uh, 14th birthday, July 20th, and it'll be 18 years this year. So when I was 14, my dad woke me up and was like, uh, you got to get a job. And I thought he was joking, but he had the classifieds paper out on the kitchen table, dishwashing job circled. Giuseppe's Italian Restaurante in Mount Ephraim, New Jersey, and he drove me up there, and uh, I got a job. And for real, it wasn't a joke at all. It wasn't. <laughs> okay. So that's how that's how it all started. Yeah. But you both fell in love with cooking, or you, or you found it uh, just something you were good at, or I mean, why'd you stick with it? Well, I stuck with it because um, I had this profound moment at uh, you know fourteen that I thought. Of all the jobs to choose in the world, this would be one that you could classify as, like, noble because you're feeding people. And then the chef would always be teaching, so you had to teach. And then, you you know, you kind of had to use your hands and stuff. So that was really it. I thought it was, like, the, or like a, such a kind of giving profession. So I, I was in love with it then. So then how did you get to Philadelphia and working with Mark Vetri? Um, with Mark Vetri, I started working there for free on my days off. I was working at uh, the Fountain Room at the Four Seasons, which was kind of this uh, lauded Four Seasons restaurant. It was fine dining, and I had two days off a week, so I'd spend them at Vetri, um, just doing anything I could. Um, and that went on for about three months. And then one day, a guy got fired, and I got his job. And, and that's how I started working with them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so then I was there for eight years. Well, what brought you to Philadelphia? You oh, what brought me to Philadelphia? To... So I was in Maine, and I was working at a roast beef sandwich shop. That was this, like, gourmet roast <laughs> beef sandwich shop. Uh, and what's so funny about it is that the owner of the shop recently came to the Bread Lab to come say hi, and I introduced <laughs> him to Jeff and everything. And he was the one that told me that I should really go to culinary school. He was from France, this guy, okay. and he was from Paris, and, and he knew how to cook, and he had gone to this great hotel school in Switzerland, it's very famous, and had run restaurants all over Europe, and his dream was to open this roast beef sandwich shop in Portland, Maine, because he thought it was so beautiful, and uh, I was talking to him, and he was like, you should really go to culinary school, because I was making hollandaise for this one sandwich, and we are making all these like things, and he saw that I kind of had a knack for it, and I wanted to go to a city, but not Boston, because Boston was too close to home. It was like an hour and a half away. And I didn't want to go to New York either, because it was too much. I wanted to go to like some gritty, kind of mean city, so I went to Philadelphia. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. and did you go to cooking school? I did, yeah. yeah. Okay. So I went to culinary school there, and then started working in Philly. And I was there for 11 years. Yeah, well, and I mean... I remember how we met. Yes. Yeah, no, me, me too. It was great. I remember it very clearly. Yeah, I was <laughs> I was solo dining at Vetri because, and, and let me ask you this. Was I the only person ever to solo dine at Vetri? No, absolutely not. Um, we would probably have one or two people a night. Okay. Yeah. Well, it, I I knew I knew it was a it was a little a little bit different and um but I remember I was I was going to leave and you popped out of the kitchen at the end of my meal to to see how you did or how my experience was and and I was just so touched that you actually cared and I I met you. Yeah, and we we actually had interacted too um through a couple courses. Um I just like brought a couple. Yes. Whenever a solo so Vetri is a, a little jewel box restaurant that only has 30 seats. And is generally a very, like, kind of romantic restaurant. And if someone eats there by themselves, which is often. Um, John, John Lithgow <laughs> used to come in all the time by himself because he was uh, always performing okay. in Philadelphia. And he would come in and sit by himself and read. Um, it's important, in my opinion, to talk to people that are there by themselves just a little bit because they probably want to, like, also be by themselves and kind of relax and enjoy the, their moment. Um, and just kind of lighten it up a little bit because it can be like 
50th anniversaries and like wedding engagements and things like that. You know, it's like that kind of place. So it's fun to just kind of have fun with some of that solo dining because it's a different experience. You get to kind of like bring them maybe a little bit more heavy hitting items like maybe kidneys or, you know, something that might be not good on a, a date. <laughs> you know, so it's like you get to have the really fun experience. Not that the other one isn't, but right. it's a different kind of fun. So I like to talk to all those solo diners and really just see where their head's at. And if they want me to leave, then I'll leave. But <laughs> you seemed, you know, welcoming. I was welcoming, and it was a phenomenal meal, and I thought the whole staff and everyone treated me really, really kindly, and there was a lot of interaction between the you coming out and the chef and, and courses and the staff explaining things and just being... I felt very well taken care of and not, not like, uh, why is this girl dining here by herself? <laughs> well, it's so much fun. That's the thing. It's, like, it's fun for us because a lot of times the... You know, if if there's a couple or someone or something like that, or a six top, and there's like, it's very convivial and, and loud. You can't get a word in, but if there's one person, you get to like find out their story, and you and you really make all these judgments about them um, in the most positive way. Where maybe you're like, well, I'm in PR with food, and it's like, okay, this person's into food, so I can like bring this and kind of get a little bit more daring, and and you know maybe bring like our crispy goat instead of bringing like the veal chop which would be a little bit more safe or something you know it's like let's get daring with this person or maybe we can give them a little extra food because it'll be cool you know I definitely had extra food yeah there was maybe too much <laughs> no i had a, i took leftovers i remember yeah that, but, and i talked about i when i started doing my show i, I look back this i did my solo dining experience on episode number three if anyone wants to okay. listen back of 104 or what is it yeah i'm at 100 i'm at 108 now 108, so a yeah, long time ago i talked about it yeah but um yeah so that's when we initially met and so what brought you from after what how did you decide to leave vetri and then move to new york city and and, and start these new projects so i had been at vetri um i moved Back from I worked at Vetri in two thousand and the end of two thousand seven until two thousand ten, and then in two thousand ten I moved to Italy. And when I was living in Italy, uh, Mark Vetri asked me if I wanted to be the chef at Vetri, and so I moved back in two thousand eleven and was the chef there. And so I was the chef there until you know two thousand fifteen, and I was thinking about the business and what restaurants are and what they mean. And I had been very much. Um, close to this whether we open the Brooklyn Bread Lab it's a passion kind of project um, to fresh milled flour and agriculture and really how food gets to a restaurant so I was considering maybe even getting into the agricultural field or just kind of looking around and, and seeing where my horizons would go to, to kind of broaden the message I was trying to get across um, so at Vetri we had switched over the whole I had switched over the whole restaurant to fresh milled flour for pastries, breads, pastas, and things like that. And when? The, around what time did you like when I was 2013, <laughs> okay, 2014. And it was just so small that you couldn't really get it to a lot of people. You know, it's only 50 guests a night at the most. And I really wanted everyone to have it. I wanted, like, everybody. I wanted it to be more accessible. So. I got an approach to do this project that was would make something like that, that message, very accessible, and moved to New York to do it. And that's the hotel. That's the restaurant. There'll be Harvey, the, the restaurant, and there's actually going to be a couple of their food properties on it that I'll be managing as well. And they'll all have fresh flour. Amazing. Yeah. What about you, Jeff? How did you get from your your first cooking job i'm jumping ahead but yeah. but to moving here and well my joining. my initial experience wasn't uh quite as profound maybe as adam's <laughs> i just kind of liked it at the beginning because i got to stay there late and you know i could like it was like listen to rock and roll and like hang out with the chef and it was very like i didn't really necessarily care about food at that time um but then the chef kind of like I, I just found my interest peaked by what was happening. I found I was very good at the mechanics, not only of dishwashing but like prepping things. I like uh, the repetition. I like things like that. I like the mechanics first, and then um, I I ended up leaving there and working for a guy at another family place that was uh, really kind of 
showed me the way. And then I really took a liking to it. And when I outgrew that place, he told me. And he said, uh, I was like, should I go to culinary school? And he said, um, no, go to Philadelphia, because I was working outside of Philadelphia. And he said, um, find the best restaurant and work there and, and try to get a job there. And just go there until they'll right. give you a job. Which and, is great advice. Which is very good advice, yeah. I mean, I would mm-hmm. still give that to anybody. Yeah. And um, so I did that. And that's, I worked at a bar when they wouldn't hire me. I worked at a bar. The restaurant that I, I went to work at wouldn't hire me yet. They didn't have a place open. So I worked at a bar in the meantime. And then uh, finally, the guy called me back from that restaurant. And that's where I met Adam. Yeah. So this yeah. restaurant was Vetri? As a- no, no, this, this was Bass. at Stripe Bass oh, okay. in Philadelphia. I don't know if you ever went there or anything No, like I've that. heard of it. But yeah, this okay. was like mid-2000s. And- Did you ever see The Sixth Sense? Yes. That's the, the restaurant where, like, yeah. their interactions, oh. like, the romantic yeah. evening. That's that restaurant. No. Yeah. So this is right before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you already know the ending, so I wouldn't watch yeah. it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it would be... It yeah, would just not, be... Not the happiest ending. No. Existential watching it <laughs> the second time. So, okay. So then how did how did you decide to come to New York, too? Did you... Do you guys, like team up together and say hey he was let's... here before me oh, yeah really? i moved okay. here five years before about five and a half years ago i moved here and i worked here for a while and adam and i remained friends but we didn't you know, talk all the time and then um i worked around here in brooklyn and then uh when adam was having his meetings negotiating the contract for the hotel i didn't know it but yeah, he, he would have he, them he walked right out yeah yeah he would have them at the restaurant where i was working and, and it was Reynard in, in, uh, in Williamsburg. And he would have the meetings there. And then I, um, I was like, what are you doing here? And then we started talking again. And right. then and when he signed all the paperwork and stuff, he called me and, and okay. said, do you want to do, do this? So and you're, you're on board. Right away. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Okay. So now we're going to take a little break. And then okay. we'll come back and we'll talk about what you're actually doing over oh, there yeah. at the Brooklyn Bread Lab. Lots okay. and lots. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. sample and savor then buy your favorite cheeses and beverages to take home nettle meadow cheeses have been praised highly in national media and have won prestigious awards from the american cheese society taste samples of goat and sheep cheeses paired with an array of local regional wines beers and ciders you'll never forget your first sample of rich creamy kunik nettle meadows trademark cheese in Esquire, our very own Ann Saxelby said, Kunick, it may very well be the sexiest cheese in the USA. Nettle Meadow Farm is a goat and sheep dairy and cheese company in Thurman, New York, just below Crane Mountain in the Adirondacks between Gore Mountain, North Creek, and Warrensburg. It's owned and operated by Lorraine Limbiase and Sheila Flanagan. Both have a great love of animals, artisan cheese, and the unique challenges of farm life. Nettle Meadow Farm was originally founded in 1990, and it's the home of over 300 goats, dozens of sheep, and a variety of farm sanctuary animals. Again, the Cheese and Spirits pairing is Saturday, June 18th. For more information and tickets, visit NettleMeadowCheeseAndSpirits.com. That's N-E-T-T-L-E, MeadowCheeseAndSpirits.com. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guests today are Adam Leonti and Jeff Kozlowski of The Bread Lab. So your motto with The Bread Lab, or I saw on your website, you have your test kitchen, a classroom, a milling facility devoted to the final food frontier, grain. So my last week I asked my guests to ask you a question. So 
It was episode 107. I had it on Andrew Steinthal and Chris Stang, the co-founders of The Infatuation. And one of their questions is, why is grain the final food frontier of food? What does that mean? Well, I mean, I think there's probably some more food frontiers, honestly. But I think that flour um, in restaurants kind of got left behind when sourcing became really under a microscope from consumers and chefs. And more or less, people that have means and are in uh, a certain caste in this country really look to their grocery store and to find the highest quality fish or meat or vegetables. They go to their farmer's markets. It's, uh, it's pretty common now. It's not um, a fluke or, or unusual. You know, it's not niche. And... However, the, they don't really look at the flour here, you know, oftentimes. And flour is something that is just as important to your, your entire food system. You know, grain really made up uh, the, the biggest majority of people's diets for a very long time in human development and still in all over the world. Um, but the, the flour and grain that we are exposed to daily at bodegas and at restaurants and pizzerias and everything is not sourced quite the same way at, uh, necessarily as those vegetables and, and meats and things. A lot of times, and I, you know, I found myself doing it for years at Vitri, uh, importing maybe flour from Italy to, to make our pasta. And then I had to think to myself, why did I spend all this time at the farmer's market spent all this time at in Atlantic City getting fish to bring into Philly and then getting all this Lancaster beef, but I import flour from Italy. I was like, why do I do that? And is it better? You know, is that the reason why I do it? And come to find out after working on a cookbook about pasta making with Mark, we were milling flour and it was completely different. It was a completely different ball game. And I started looking around to my peers and noticing that they weren't privy to it. And I really had to kind of ask them if they'd be interested in seeing it. And then I'd kind of show them, like, hey, if you want to try this flour out, I'd ask, like, friends that were chefs. And just here, when you use it for whatever you're making right now, you're going to make a cake, when you try this out. Um, and it was as big of an ingredient as the first time that you used, like, uh, you know, yuzu or something, like something that's somewhat exotic to maybe what you grew up with. And he was like, wow, what is that flavor? And it's like, that's just flour that you always have, but it's milled fresh, and it tastes completely different because of it. And then as I got educated on the subject and learned about it and was able to kind of articulate my feelings about it, I could show people that it's very similar to coffee and how coffee is ground fresh more or less everywhere now, which is great. However, 20 years ago, it wasn't very much a, a Folgers standard and you could go into a Dunkin' Donuts, and that that was coffee. I remember my, my dad once saying, I miss coffee-flavored coffee. And I was like, what does that mean? <laughs> you know, and it's like he misses that, like, kind of stale flavor of it. But that's just because he grew up with it. Um, but really, coffee-flavored coffee is such a different experience than that kind of pre-ground thing. Very much in the same light as flour and fresh wheat. It will wheat being milled freshly. So that's why it was yeah. a final frontier. It was like because it was just you just started thinking about how flour ends up everywhere. So that's why it's a frontier. It's such a massive subject. It's like pasta, pastries, breads, cakes. You know, just dusting it on like a, a Dover sole before it goes into a pan, and how wheat itself, which is a big word that describes forty thousand varieties of grain of of wheat. Each one of those varieties has a different flavor, so it's a frontier. You know, we have to find them. We got to see what grows in each state. You got to, you know, see what their properties are. Do they make bread? Do they make pastries? Like, what do they do? Like, how much proteins in each one? You know, how does it react? Uh, what's it cost? Everything. I've had so many thoughts as you're talking, but uh, like, how? Why did grain? or flour get left behind and why is this conversation only happening now I think it's important that that you're doing it and I think everything you said is really really true and I'm just wondering if it also has to do with with profit and shelf life big time Yo, you're right on you're right on the mark uh, what's amazing is if you look back at the history of like the graham cracker 
that graham cracker came about with an experiment trying to get all the bran and wheat germ back into flour, you know, right around the 19th century, right around the beginning of the, you know, the end of the 19th century. Um, people tried to get those in because people were getting sick then from uh, eating white flour, you know, because it was such a large portion of their diet. And if it's a larger portion of your diet, now it's not as big as a portion of our diet, so it wouldn't affect you quite the same way. However, a lot of people have these aversions and dietary restrictions to it. But if you grew up on a grain-based diet and all of a sudden your grain turned into white flour, you're going to get sick. And graham crackers were made to get bran and wheat germ back into foods. Wow, I didn't know. So it's, it's been around a long time, but the like you said, the profit profitability of growing wheat and turning it into flour and then selling it on a large scale is such a like perfect system you know the the mills that are around that are that mill very quickly and the process of getting you know wheat in the, from the field into that bag of flour that you buy to make your pastries every you know Christmas or whatever holiday you celebrate the is so fast that small-scale organic farming and then small-scale milling can never have a chance because you're going to spend so much more. And we've lost the history to know the difference. So, I mean, this is not a product of our grandparents. A lot of times I'll find people say, like, oh, my, you know, my grandparents had this great thing. So it's like, well, truly our grandparents, even for a, long, a large variety of ages, you know, you could be in your 60s and you could say your grandparents – made these things that were so fresh but it's not true a lot of it is still very canned in the last 75 90 years and flour especially is something that just was shelf stable and these pastries were made with that and these you know breads were made with that so to actually even recognize the difference we're very far removed from that and it's just not typical so what are you? So at the bread lab, you're educating people, you're teaching classes, you're selling your product. Yeah, all of this. Yeah, okay. um, we make um, things like breads and pizzas and pastas to sell, not to make a, a big profit. We sell them at a, a modest price because we can at the moment to really just get people on board and get them excited about it to let them experience it for the first time and really see the difference so that's why we do it and then the classes uh, that we teach kind of get the point across there are two hours long and intensive on you know a very simple subject which some people would say is not simple right. but making bread or something but what's the, what's the biggest misconception about about bread or about everyone now is the the whole gluten gluten free everyone I mean there was an article I was reading about you or about saying how you actually saying you lost weight or something going on this eating this fresh bread sort yeah. of diet um, which I found most people would think is oh, how's that possible Yeah well I mean if you, if you do look back at you know you know if you a lot of people will say Look back a hundred years ago and see how people were smaller, and their you know their waist size was a little bit more trim. How how can that be? And they were eating bread a lot of times, so that wasn't what was making them heavier. And Jeff and I were put in this bread lab, or we put ourselves in this bread lab um, gladly, and we're only eating bread all the time, and we were losing weight. Uh, I mean, it's also a product of still exercising and all that but the, when you have everything from that grain the bran the vitamins from the wheat germ all in there it's a different product so it's not like eating that sugary substance that is white flour you know you're eating something yeah. very good for you it's like eating an apple you know I actually uh, I heard a really good saying once is like you drink orange juice, and you might think it's healthy for you, you know, and it is. There's vitamin C and stuff, but if you drank orange juice constantly, like, you're going to gain weight. But if you eat an orange, you're eating the pulp, you're eating all the, you know, everything inside of it, all mm -hmm. that fiber, and you can't down it. You know, you can't just, like, down oranges the same way you down orange juice. But if you were <laughs> just to take the sugary part out of it, like, of course it's great, 
Right. And sure, there's still some vitamins in it, but it's not the same experience. Yeah, that's a good analogy. I'll yeah. think of that. Yeah. What? So let's talk a little bit about Harvey opening up soon. So what's what's the concept? So Harvey is a restaurant. It's a restaurant-themed restaurant. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> in, in Williamsburg. And what we're going to focus on really is flipping the ratios of how a lot of menus read currently. And when I say ratios, I mean meat to, and fish to vegetables. I love meat and fish, and I eat them all the time. Uh, I just don't feel the need to have them dominate 80% of the menu and more like 5% of the menu. And then the rest is uh, vegetables. You know, it's really very close to being vegetarian, but I, I'm not a vegetarian. And I just eat those things kind of uh, more celebratory throughout the week. And for their health benefits and for their field benefits and agriculture, you know, pigs are very much a part of a field, and so are cows and chickens and everything. But you just don't need so much of it. And there's so much to be made and to make with all the varieties of vegetables grown around here. So that's kind of what it's going to be like. Okay. When, <laughs> when, when can we expect this opening? September. September, October. Okay. So maybe October, November. <laughs> <laughs> September. September. Well, cool. And why is it called Harvey? What's I, I Actually, well, it's just uh, named after a friend. A friend named yeah. Harvey who, yeah. who likes good bread. Yeah. I assume your bread <laughs> is going to be a part of this. No, no, you're gonna get. You're gonna. <laughs> bread will you're, make you're you going fat. back to Italy. Yeah, bread's yeah. gonna make you Shipping fat. It in so again. this is fat. for skinny people. That's yeah. it. Yeah, people that lose weight. Yeah, no. No, I find. I mean, just in my just reading about starting, I was like googling milling bread, and I was just like researching this and finding it very fascinating and feeling that it's just one of those fields that needs. People need to be educated, so I think what you're doing is is tremendous, and it's well, thanks a you lot. know Thank it's you. important. Yeah, and the way to, to educate them is uh, not to talk at all, but just to make Try them the bread. Just make them something to yeah. taste. That's it. Yeah. Well, you're right down the block from here, so that's convenient for we me. We will give you bread whenever you want. Okay, good to know. <laughs> all right, we're gonna take another break here. Come back. We're going to do my speed round game and talk some industry news. This is cool. all yes. in the industry on Heritage <laughs> Radio Network. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guests today are Adam Leonti and Jeff Kozlowski of The Bread Lab. It's time for my speed round game. What this is is I'm going to name a couple of things, either or situation, and you just pick your preference. Okay. We go one and one? Go. Or just, or just shout them out. Shout them out? However, however is going to work with you two. Yeah, we, have a, we have a twin language. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm assuming. Okay. Whatever works for you two. Here we go. Eat in or eat out? Eat out. <laughs> Wine, beer, cocktail, or mocktail? Wine. Uh, cocktail. Tasting menu or a la carte? A la carte. A la carte, yeah. Small plates or large plates? Large plates. I mean, I guess it depends on the place. Okay. Yeah. 
That's not one of the choices. Like I'm going to eat a I'm going to eat a large plate at a diner. Yeah. I, if I gave you gave me a small plate at a diner, I'm going to get upset. You know what I mean? <laughs> and if I went to Casamono, I'm going to have a big, you know, little plates. Okay. Okay. <laughs> get Chomsky. it. I get Noam it. Chomsky over here. <laughs> How about um, communal table or table or chef's counter? Neither communal table. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, I'm a private person. I don't like being around people. So. So you you want your your two top by yourself I and solo dining? You're into solo dining. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah, you're not. <laughs> we eat at Peter's all the time. Yeah, you and I. <laughs> How about tipping or all inclusive charge? Tipping. tipping. <laughs> Bagel or Bialy? Bagel. Bagel. Gino's or Pats? Pats. Pats. Good. I like this. <laughs> two more: cheese plate or dessert? Dessert. Oof, dessert. Manhattan, Brooklyn, or Philadelphia? Manhattan. Uh, Brooklyn. Brooklyn. Yeah. Brooklyn. You yeah. guys are very in sync. Yeah. yeah. Good, good, good job. <laughs> I feel yeah. like we're on the dating show. I know. <laughs> you are, sort of. <laughs> um, okay, so industry news. Uh, two articles I picked out from Eater on the same subject, one a few days before the other. So the first one, billionaire Tish family set to acquire a significant stake in Roberta's. This is by Serena Dye and Ryan Sutton. And then the follow-up article is Future of Roberta's Owner, Tish Plans Management Overhaul, Community Board Says. So basically this is about how where we are here at Roberta's, uh, the Tish family, which is a multi-billion dollar um, – well, they, they own the multi-billion dollar Lowe's Hotel Corporation, and they also own the Giants, the New York Giants and other things. But um, – they have invested in Roberta's, and they're, um, according to these articles, well, this is what's interesting. One, the article is saying Carlo Mariachi, if I'm saying his name right, from the chef and co-owner here, that he's um, he's going to remain on, but there's going to be a shift in the rest of the management and the staff. It's just a little, it's un- unclear of, of who's staying and who's going, but at first it was saying this is just a financial decision for the Tish coming in, but um, it's kind of unclear of who's going to be here. I don't know. It's kind of big news being that we're here at Roberta's. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, it kind of sounds like, you know, the Vetri Corporation being bought by Urban Outfitters. You know. Yeah. Very similar. It's kind of similar. True. Is, that is was uh, that was a big story. I think yeah. I ta- I did talk about that on the show. And you know, knowing Mark and Jeff Benjamin really well, if the people involved make the decision with who's purchasing them and they they go about it the right way, it it should be seamless. Yeah. 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 Well, it said it said the idea was that uh, Carlo's looking for, to expand and maybe not necessarily replicate. Roberta's, which you probably can't because it's so unique, but to build the brand and and to have some financial backing to be able to do that. Sure. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of the same deal with Vetri. They weren't going to open up Vetri. They were opening up, like, their pizzerias and stuff. Right. Different concepts. People people always... People seem to, like, not want those things to happen sometimes, you know, and... I'm not really sure why, but but they do, you know, and people have different reasons, and and it's okay, you know, it could be seamless, like Adam said, you know, and it could be something that's good. It could be a catastrophe. It could be anything. It could (laughs) be any number of things. It really depends on who's involved. Well, the second article about the community board was was basically it was a little contradictory to the first article because it was saying that Brandon Howe, who's the other co-founder and co-owner here, that he is apparently going to be leaving and that the reason they were at this community board meeting was that they were trying to transfer over their liquor license, which you only need to do if 80% of your staff is apparently going to be leaving or changing. So um, I don't know. I'm sure there'll be more to come out about this. It's been kind of, I think people have known for a while that there were going to be some changes here at sure. Roberta's. Right. But uh, nothing's going to change with Heritage Radio. Just we're still going to be here in the backyard with our two shipping containers. <laughs> yeah. That might, the sauna. The, the sauna, as you, <laughs> the you're sauna. calling it. We're yeah. going to turn it into It's cozy. Sauna. Yeah. It but it, but it we have night. a nice new AC. So Yeah, no, it's not a sauna because it's yeah. hot. It's just that it's like, <laughs> no, it it's looks all like cedar. Yeah, yeah, the inside here is all cedar. We're going to turn it. And it was haunted when yeah. you guys aren't here. Around. Yeah. Right. At night. 
Yeah. Well, yeah. well, we'll see what happens with yeah. it. But you, all the you, best. Yeah. yeah. And you're just down the block, as I referred. I mean, yeah. you're, how do you like being out here in Bushwick? It's peaceful. It's um, you know, it's great. I love our neighbors. We have a, a pretzel factory for across the street from us, and the owners there are really been nothing but welcoming and really fascinated by the whole process and were like interested like i wonder if we could make a pretzel with this fresh flour and it's like maybe not with just jeff and i working there but yeah perhaps one day you, you know, know what's cool is that out here there's a lot of graffiti which you know and there's a lot of like people from all over the world that come to look at the graffiti you know for some reason and they take tours but what's cool about that is that we get a lot of Europeans in the bread lab that eat our bread. And that has been very encouraging. Yeah. Uh, because they love it. You know, they, they feel like we've been told quite a few times from people from all over the world that they have Every not week. been able to get bread like that in New York or in the United States. And which is, you know, when sometimes you're like, man, this is like, this is tough, you know, but when you get that kind of reinforcement and encouragement, it's it's very popular. Yeah, well, yeah. I I I think, I mean, I feel in Europe it is more of a common thing where you go and you buy your fresh bread every day, versus here. And actually, my my sister and brother in law were living in Belgium for five years, and they moved back. My brother in law asked me recently, "Where's a good place to go and to have bread in the city?" Like a fresh daily thing and you know I gave him a few names but I wasn't now I'm going to say you got to go out to you got to go out to Bushwick yeah bring him, bring him <laughs> down. yeah bring him out yeah, yeah because I mean do you do you, do you have any place you would refer people in the city to go like something that you would you know that that's doing doing good or yeah, I really like uh, Runner and Stone I really try okay. to promote them a lot they're in Gowanus yeah I've they heard of that really beautiful bread really nice people too yeah yeah I also uh, loved Bread's Bakery's rye bread. They make really great rye bread. They're rye, yeah. Oh, cool. They're yeah. up by me now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Go in there and get that rye bread. All right. Perfect. Great. We're going to take one more break here okay. and come back. I'm going to do my solo dining experience. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. It's time for my solo dining experience. This week, I went to Bika. Here's the rundown. The location, corner of 6th Avenue and 29th Street at Lupelo at the Eventi Hotel. The concept, a daytime walk-up window and dine-in counter serving, small roast coffee from Coffee Lab Roasters, as well as a variety of house-baked pastries and Portuguese breakfast and lunch specialties. The chef and owner, George Mendez. Why did I go? Because I was in the area for a morning meeting and desired good coffee, eats, and Wi-Fi. My experience. I passed by the outside window where I thought you were supposed to order, but it wasn't open. So I entered Lupelo and found a few people at the coffee bar enjoying breakfast. The barista handed a menu to me, told me that I could order at the counter and then take a seat and my food would be brought to me. So I did so. I found a nice two-top by the windows to sit, eat, and work, as I did have my laptop with me. I paid at the counter before I left. 
What did I get? I had the smoky bacon sandwich bit with Benton's bacon, fried egg, tomato, and avocado on brioche bun and a skim latte. My take, it was a seriously delicious sandwich and just the right size that it was satisfying without feeling too overindulgent. And my latte was very good too. The ambiance, a spacious setting along the side of Lupulo's bar with wood tables and lots of natural light. Perfect for a solo breakfast or morning meeting. Interesting tidbit, Bica is the Portuguese word for espresso. Personal fun fact, my solo dining experience on episode 65 was at Lupulo, and during my breakfast I saw George as well as his new publicist, Rachel Wilensky, which was a pleasure. The cost was $12, not including tax and gratuity. Would I go back? Yes, I would. Their website is lupulonyc.com, and Bica is B-I-C-A. Do they have it? Great. I don't do that many breakfast solo dining experiences. That might be my first one. That. We got to go Pretty back cool. and listen to yours. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I love that. I'm. Uh, yeah. This. This. I figured. I. I need. A, I need to mix up. Mix it up. I can't just be dining. No, that's great. Out at that's night. great. Yeah, have you considered perfect. doing like a um, room service one? Oh, oh, that'd be cool. I was just thinking that immediately because I'm, you know, planning on making some room service. It'd be that's a solo dining experience sometimes, oftentimes. You know, I'm, I have some travels coming up. I'm all down for it because be I haven't. That would be cool, right? That would be cool. Yeah. It would be cool. Because some people are very thoughtful about it, some hotels. Yes. And they give you uh, really interesting packaging and flatware and whatnot that yeah. kind of can make it. And I never thought about it until recently when I was putting together a menu for room service and one of the guys I work with was like, yeah, I know you didn't room service when I worked at the Four Seasons like a long time ago. And he's like, but just remember, no one wants to eat a bowl of mussels in their bed. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's kind of gross to eat like a big old thing of mussels like where you're sleeping. Right, you know? it's right. Like, you got to consider the room. Like if you have a big room, yeah. but, you know, New York hotels, you're on your bed most of the time when you're eating. You know, there's not a lot of like desk right. space or like balcony space, even at very fine hotels. So you know, it's it's it would be cool to see. Mm-hmm. I'm 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 I have my my I'm thinking all about this. I'm very excited. Okay, yeah, cool. That's a good idea. Yeah, yeah. I don't know dining. I feel like there'll have to be some bread sort of products involved in like crumbs everywhere because uh, that's yeah. that's yeah. an advantage of being in a hotel room too that you don't have to clean up. That's the best. That's yeah, a, yeah, that's right. But that's smell true. smell that's interesting to think yeah. about. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I will let you know. Okay. <laughs> a good suggestion. <laughs> okay, so it's time for the final question. So next week I'm having on Brady Lowe. He's the founder of Koshan 555. Oh, wow. Are you familiar with Of course, yes, yeah, Okay, certainly. so that's, for people who don't know, it's the world's first environmental, environmentally conscious nose-to-tail pig competition celebrating fine dining and the pillars of our culinary landscape. And he's going to be... Um, they have Koshan Heritage Fire coming up in Aspen Snowmass, and I'm going to be out there for, for that festival. So what would you like to ask Brady? Oh. How is Koshan environmentally conscious? That's what I'd like to ask. Like, okay. Yeah, that's what I want to know. I, I mean, yeah. I never knew that was the reason behind it. I only knew so many people participating. I guess I'm an idiot, and I never really paid attention to it. Like, I just have so yeah, many friends that, oh, and I was like, and sweet, deal, yeah. there's going to be, like, pigs and, yeah, and yeah. beer and all these things, you know? I just never knew that yeah. part of it. And well, I'm like, yeah. oh, wow. Now I'm like gonna, I'm gonna go and look at the website immediately after this show. So we'll know the Go answer. check it it's out. It's the exact same thing as the grain on your website. Yeah, the totally. Food frontier. Yeah, so, so you know. It, I mean, because that I got that's the tagline they have on yeah. the website. So I would I would love to know why. Yeah. Now I, I feel like a jerk that I don't know. Yeah, because we I don't want to be like how is it environmentally conscious, but it would be no 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 I'm, an yeah. opportunity for yeah. him to, to talk about it. You know. Yeah, I, I've always just gotten the other end of it where it's like such a cool event. And yeah. it really brings so many heavy hitters cool and people, yeah. yeah, big players and food and stuff. Yeah, it does. But um, yeah, I feel like there is there is more to it. So we're yeah. going to find out. Yeah. So, have you competed in his? No, I haven't. I haven't. I got asked to once um, to join the, the vegetable one, but okay, maybe I'm not. I'm not competitive. Yeah, okay. we, we like yeah. to take our time. Yeah, we're not fast. <laughs> no, that's why we do bread. It takes like twenty four hours. Commitment. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we. Only reason I'm not competitive is because I would lose. Yeah. So then you are competitive. 
you don't want to lose. Yeah, make no, some, no, no, I'm saying I will lose regardless will. no matter make, what. So. Okay. Make, uh, make salumi with it. Yeah. It takes like, like, it's going to take two years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like prosciutto. Cut the pig up and then. Like, I made prosciutto. You're all going to have to wait. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we'll right. see if I win. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, awesome. That's the show. Thank you guys so much. Thanks for having Thank us. Thank you. Yeah, really no, congratulations on the bread lab. Congratulations on upcoming Harvey. I will I will be there perhaps solo dining. We'll have to see. Okay. And um yeah, and I'm glad you guys are down the block too. So my guests today have been Adam Leonti and Jeff Kozlowski of the Bread Lab. Their websites are thebrooklynbreadlab.com, the Williamsburghotel.com, that's where Harvey is going in, the restaurant they're yeah. opening. Now, social media, I have at Adam Leonti, at BK Bread Lab, at W Berg Hotel. Jeff, are you social media-ing? Uh, got, a, got a handle? On Instagram? Yeah. Yeah, Jeffrey Kozlowski, at Jeffrey Kozlowski. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and okay. then I, I follow do the you. Bread Lab one. and Cool. Yeah. Perfect. And to follow me, I'm at Sherry Bayer at Bayer PR at All Industry. My Facebook page is All in the Industry. My websites are BayerPublicRelations.com and SherryBayer.com. If you miss any live shows, you can find them archived at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We are also on Stitcher and on iTunes. Thanks to my engineers today, and thanks to Adam and Jeff. I'm Sherry Bayer. I'll be back next Wednesday at 4 p.m. with another live show. Thanks for being part of All in the Industry. Bye. Thank you. Bye. HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes Store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.